I didn't come in with a very broad data science background. And even after starting the job, I think I felt a bit of imposter syndrome. And I think that can be something that happens to all of us. And it's just, you need to open yourself up to a growth mindset where you don't need to know everything. What really matters is that you're willing to learn. This is In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. I'm Corinne Lines. And I'm Suchi Srinivasan. Each episode, we have meaningful and vulnerable conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. This episode, we're speaking to Connie Gao, Principal Data Scientist at BCGX, BCG's AI and Data Science Division. This division was formerly BCG Gamma. Connie joined BCG straight after completing her PhD in chemical engineering at MIT. She started out in a consultant role at BCG, but missed working in the tech space. Through her own initiative, she transitioned into her current role. When we interviewed Connie, she was in the role of lead data scientist. Connie encourages her teams to be honest about their boundaries and make sure that they respect their work-life balance. She also sees a need to carefully examine how caring responsibilities affect women's career progression. Here's my conversation with Connie. My name is Connie Gao. I'm a lead data scientist out of Boston Consulting Group, and I'm very happy to be on the podcast today. And can you describe your career path leading to your current role and maybe what some of the inflection points were along the way for you? I would say that my science background came from even high school, where I lived in a small town called Los Alamos, where they happened to have invented the atomic bomb. So my mother, she works at the Los Alamos National Lab there, and there's a heavy influence of, you know, science and engineering in that town. And after that, I went to study at Caltech uh, in chemical engineering. And even though I was a chemical engineer, I took some programming classes at the end of college, and I found myself very, very interested. But it was a little bit too late to, you know, change my degree to computer science. So I kind of sat tight, and I ended up going to grad school and doing my PhD at MIT. But when I chose my lab group, I sort of decided that I would look for one that was very computational. And so I ended up learning Python and learning simulation and getting into the world of software engineering as like a part of my project. And that was the part that I was really, really interested in, probably more so than the science side of my project. And so through that, I worked with a team and people in my lab group and from other universities building this big uh, software project that was combustion related. And I learned all of these techniques. And so that was what really energized me. Um, But of course, I didn't have the confidence at that time to leave and go to a tech company. I didn't think I could pass the coding interview despite having that experience. So I ended up joining BCG as a management consultant instead. And after about a year and a half of doing that, um, I felt happy at BCG, but yet I was sort of missing that technical side. I was missing the aspect of building a product or coding and that type of 
analytics and uh, collaboration. And so that's when I sort of learned about Gamma. And that's when I decided to try to make the move and come back to uh, join data science. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask you if you got exposure through a case where Gamma was staffed. And is that how it exposed you? Or how did it come about? That's a great question. Because back five, six years ago, Gamma was very, very small. So the data and analytics arm of BCG was maybe 50 people. And most of them were spread through the Paris and Boston offices. However, I did have the opportunity to work on a public sector project that was a collaboration with Gamma. Um, I can't go into too much detail, but it was on healthcare and staffing, and it was very interesting. And that's when I learned, hey, we actually have another part of our business that does this type of work that would be really great for my interests. What barriers or maybe challenges did you face in being a woman in data science as you sort of got exposure to that, sort of transitioned over? What did you see and what were those experiences like? I mean, even in grad school, uh, being in engineering, I was always one of the few women among the people I worked with. So I had gotten fairly used to that, being at an engineering school, being in a engineering-focused lab group. I think that's why I never felt super out of place in data science because it was the same environment. I think what makes it tougher being at a company is seeing that sort of progress through the senior level. So even though we have, let's say, 25% overall women, as you get more senior, you see that there is almost no one left. And there's No one to show you that there is a career path ahead and that you could make it to the top because you don't see anyone there. There are less senior women in almost all companies, uh, especially in, in data science and, you know, in STEM. And I think part of the difficulty is that, uh, the people who need to support women to get to the top are actually men because that's the people who have to raise other people up. And because there are so few senior women, there's just not enough support to go around. And other things that I think that companies need to be mindful of is just the obligations that we do have for women even in a company. So, for example, there are often many citizenship activities that you know, require a woman to join a recruiting event or have coffee chats. Sometimes I would have multiple interviews with only female candidates. And then, you know, sometimes you see that your male colleagues don't have any interviews. And so these are sort of, you know, big asks of your time. But then when it comes to career advancement, these are the activities that don't matter as much and don't get counted towards your career advancement. So I think that um, something that companies need to look at is just evaluating these small imbalances and making sure there's equity between the men and women in the company in terms of division of work or division of these activities. And also, I think the other big challenge is just How do you self-advocate when you're in the minority and how do you strike the right balance? Um, 
I think the other thing that's coming to mind is that as I've sort of stayed at BCG and started a family myself and seeing my colleagues start families, I'm seeing more and more people leave. So peers of mine who have also started families, they um, start to reach a point where they don't have that sustainability at this job and they really start to look for uh, work-life balance. And I think... um, not only in data science, but just in general, I think that's a huge challenge for women. Despite things becoming more equal between the genders, I would say that uh, women are still doing the majority of the caretaking responsibilities, and that is spurning folks to leave um, jobs where there's no sustainability. Connie, can you share with us a little bit about the work that you have been doing with BCG Gamma, which is now sort of in that moment of transitioning to BCGX? Yeah, sure. So obviously I've been here quite some time, so it's not just one area, but I've sort of settled in the um, retail space. So what I do is my group helps retailers with uh, things like pricing, promotions, markdowns, and the analytics behind that. So you can add quite a bit of AI and um, analytics to that space because there are so many considerations when you think about products on a shelf. Like, what is the optimal price to have for that item? Should you promote more or should you lower the everyday price? What do you think about omni-channel plays, for instance, between online versus your brick-and-mortar stores? What do you think about If you promote for too much, is there some sort of fatigue? Do you ping your customers more with emails or do you stop at a certain point in time? So all of that is the sort of AI and um, analytics that we're building into our tools to help the people within those companies make decisions in an informed way. It seems like more and more it's so prevalent as consumers, we're not even aware of how embedded it is. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I was curious um, if you could share with us, what makes you excited about the work that you do every day? I think it's the, not just the subject area and the fact that we get to interact with uh, clients, but also the collaboration between such a cross-functional and global team. So I think the pandemic did help us break some barriers in that area where we used to be quite regionally focused, have a lot of travel, but now because of remote work, we are collaborating across the globe between different time zones. So I'll be working with a software engineer from London and from Spain. I'll also be working with uh, consultants out of the West Coast and California, and yet we're just one team. And it's amazing the sort of world-class people that I can learn from, um, both from the consulting side, but also just folks who are amazing data engineers or infrastructure people. I feel like every day I'm learning more about new technologies. I think we touched on this a little bit, but were there any specific challenges in your sort of new transition from being a generalist to specializing? Were there any specific challenges that you experienced that you would share with us? Just deciding to make the transition itself was probably the hardest thing. I think after deciding that within myself, it was actually easier 
uh, of course, I knew that I I had to work hard to sort of interview for a new role, pick up new skills. But just finding it within myself to make a switch, I think for a lot of people, it is quite scary to go from something they know and to test the waters and think about if they can switch their career track. And so that was sort of the looking in the mirror type of moment before I switched and thinking about, I'm actually really interested in analytics. I want to build upon my expertise. I want to do something that I'm actually good at and can build upon versus something that I'm maybe less passionate about. Um, But getting the courage to do that was the biggest challenge. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it gives confidence to those that are listening that like, look, yeah, we know it's hard. We recognize that, but it's okay. Take stock in what you have passion in and what you have passion for and move forward, right? I just want to add one more thing. I didn't come in with a very broad data science background. I did software engineering during my PhD. I have done simulations before, but some of these new concepts, I had to go online and take some online courses in them and sort of just talk to various people to um, understand the field and the sort of questions that I could be asked in order to prepare myself. And even after starting the job, I think I felt a bit of imposter syndrome. And I think that can be something that happens to all of us. And it's just, you need to open yourself up to a growth mindset where you don't need to know everything. What really matters is that you're willing to learn. You yourself said, I'm not ready to jump all the way in with both feet. Let me do this generalist role of BCG first. And then you got the exposure through that, which thank goodness, because it gave you that that pathway. It was that conduit for you. But I think you're right. And you probably were totally prepared and super ready already, even at that point, but you just didn't feel it. I didn't have the confidence that you needed to make that jump or make that move. I know we already touched on the fact that you're a mom now, but how do you think that has influenced your career and has it? And can you share a little bit around that? I think, of course, the hybrid model helps just so much. Like back when the day we would travel every week, And now being able to travel once a month or once every other month has really been a game changer. And just thinking about my day in a different way where I try to compartmentalize the time I work versus the time I have with my family. And the end, it's actually the same number of hours, but just managing my availability and shifting them at different times. So basically making sure I have time for drop-off or pickup or for bedtime, and then I can always sign on after that. So it's a matter of managing expectations with the people that you work with and them understanding that you cannot be on call 24-7 because of the obligations that you have to your family. And I think that the, the great news is that my team understands that and they are reasonable and they respect those boundaries. I also want to add like it not only is something for yourself as a mom, but also I find it very important to ask the same of my team. Like what are their boundaries? What are their must-haves? And what are the things that they care about in their schedule? And we try to come together in the middle and make it work. 
It's that mutual respect and it goes both ways. Perfect. We like to ask our guests, when was a time when you felt that you were in your element? Recently or in the past, either way. I think I want to go to my favorite hobby, which is cooking. And as silly as it sounds, I do spend a lot of time collecting cookbooks and pouring through recipes. Um, When I go to the library, I'll often check out a new book and sort of learn new cuisines um, along the different seasons. And I think what makes me feel the most in my element is being able to end my last meeting of the day at something like 5 p.m. and sort of shifting my mental state and going into the kitchen and turning on the left side of my brain to cook up what's left inside the fridge. And I don't really plan um, what I'm going to cook. I just look at what I have and then I start cooking. And I have a fresh meal prepared um, when my husband and son come home after daycare. And it actually sounds a bit like an antithesis of what a career woman should do, which is serve dinner to your family. But I absolutely love that I can do both, which is be present in my job during the day and also have family time at the end of the day. And I just love that time when I'm in the zone, in the kitchen, and and doing something I love. That was my conversation with Connie Gao. Sushi, what were some of your key takeaways from this conversation? Oh, I resonated so much with this interview, as I'm sure our listeners would too. She talked about women having to, uh, you know, dedicate their time and their capacity to multiple family responsibilities and how this impacts, you know, as you go up um, and see more uh, senior levels of responsibility, there's fewer women over there because, you know, they've they've dropped out of the workforce to take care of, um, you know, these other responsibilities in their life. And to me, that was very reminiscent, actually, of what Siri from Data Robot also mentioned in terms of how she almost was very proactive in arranging the major life milestones so that she could create the time and space and capacity to be able to focus on her professional endeavors. And that, while that was very thoughtful of her, but the fact that she had to do that and those who don't sort of pay the price for, you know, by either dropping out of the workforce or not being able to pursue their ambitions feels like, oh my gosh, we really haven't made as much progress as we think we might have made on this issue of, um, you know, encouraging diversity um, across all aspects of the corporate life. What do you think, Corinne? That made a deep impression on me, but I think some other things that were, it's very related and very woven together, but I think it's also interesting as these senior women leaders rise through the ranks in corporations, there are maybe fewer and fewer of themselves that they are seeing in these upper ranks of the organization. So they feel more and more alone. And I think there is also, and she mentions this, that there's sort of this um, reliance on these women from these organizations and corporations to say, hey, I want you to, you know, be a part of these, this, this event, this recruiting event. We want you to be the face of this, you know, new class that's coming in. We want you to be there to represent sort of, let's say, Asian women that are working in, in computing. Can you be that? And sort of, and those, those requests come again and again and again. And it's, it does make an impact on your career in a, in a sense it can be in a good way because you're the face and you come and you spend the time and you make you have face time with these different new individuals that are coming into the firm but also it's like 
okay, well, I have other things that I need to be doing. And there's so much expectation from these corporations for these women to willingly dedicate, you know, dedicate this time or volunteer this time. And it can be challenging to, you know, to volunteer that time and yet also, you know, work-life balance. Well, that's all for today. This has been In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. Join us every episode to hear meaningful conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.